Support for our show comes solely from listeners like yourself. If you like what we're doing, help us by sharing the pod on social media and leaving us a five-star review, whether it's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Audible. Thanks again for listening, and without further ado, let's start the show. My name is Ken Afienko. I'm General Counsel of the Pinellas County Fraternal Order of Police, Lodge 43. I am an avid union supporter and have been so for many, many years of my career. I think unions are invaluable to the workforce, and honestly, without unions, I think we would be in a world of hurt. Therefore, I support all unions, whether they're fire, police, teachers, or any other union that we have in the state of Florida. Hey guys, welcome back to PCTA's Fire Podcast. I'm Brennan Pickett. I'm the FEA Director and Fire Co-Chair here at the Pinellas Classroom Teacher Association. I'm Philip Del Castro, Fire Co-Chair at PCTA. I'm Dr. Anna Margiata. I am an AP Chemistry teacher at St. Pete High School. And I'm Abby Lawler. I'm a former union organizer and researcher turned labor lawyer and the co-author with Jane McAlevey of Rules to Win By, Power and Participation in Union Negotiations. And Abby is calling us all the way from Seattle. Thank you so much for coming on and talking to us today. Of course, I'm really happy to be here. So this is going to be a different kind of show. Um, this is kind of uh, Philip Belcastro's idea. Um, he's the one that brought <laughs> up this book to me. And he's like, we need to interview these people. They, they figured it out. So I said, sure, man, read the book. <laughs> we can do this all day. <laughs> so kind of, I'm going to throw it over to Philip. All right. So we'll, we'll see how, uh, how this train wreck goes. But um, just to give a little bit of background, this episode came about because um, I am one of those people who listens to podcasts on YouTube. So I was listening to um, Adam Conover's, uh, and he was doing an interview with Jane McAlevey. And I was just, I, I love Adam Conover. I had I've actually never heard of Jane McAlevey before. And I was like, this is fascinating. I love this. So I, I, I was thinking, I have to get my hands on this book. I need to know more about this person. Um, and I kind of just blindly just reached out to, to Jane's um, uh, publicists and you, your guys' people. And, and they were like, yeah, that sounds, let's get that going. They sent us a copy of the book and it started just moving really, really quickly. And then I started talking about it with our union people and they were like, yeah, Jane McAlevey's like really famous. <laughs> like, <laughs> and so then they, then they said that, oh, well, well, Abby can talk to you guys. That seems like, you know, like, um, I don't know, like, I guess because of your work in, in uh, research and, and uh, just the stuff that you do, that it made a little bit more sense. And um, this, it just kind of escalated, right? So we had the book and I kind of shared it with my colleagues here and we all, you know, we took bits and pieces of it and, and, and tackled it together. And now here we are. So I was just fascinated by this, this uh, you know, this public um, ground swelling of union organizing and everything that was um, happening with it. So um, here we are now, and we've got Abby with us. And I just kind of wanted to ask right out of the gate, what was what was your start with this? How did you uh, how did you meet Jane? How did you guys come up with this idea for the book, Rules to Win By? Um, so give us a little bit of your background. Um, yeah, and it's it's exciting to hear that you're sort of a recent comer to to Jane's work and to our work together. And um, yeah, excited to to dig in uh, to it with someone who's looking at it with with relatively fresh eyes mm-hmm. and. Um, I first encountered, I think folks are probably most familiar with Jane's book, No Shortcuts, which is really a kind of organizing 101 primer for um, anyone who's 
trying to seriously organize and build power in their workplace and their apartment building as a climate activist, et cetera. Um, I encountered that book because it was the book when I was uh, working for a union that books passed around, handed to new organizers on staff, referred to as kind of the go-to resource for organizing. And it was her PhD. We're going to talk a little bit later maybe about research methods. It was her PhD project, right? And so the idea that that was the thing that people were going to as an organizing manual was really just fascinating to me as like, it on the one hand is this serious like peer-reviewed academic book and on the other hand is the thing that rank and file workers, new organizers are reading to learn about how to organize again in a serious power focused way. Um, and, you know, I had kind of come into the labor movement through um, political and community organizing that was very much in the same vein of what Jane advocates for really structure based organizing where you have a really firm understanding of the landscape that you're organizing within and that you're trying to really build a network of relationships that covers the whole the whole workplace or the whole community where you're running an electoral campaign. Um, so I think those ideas were kind of familiar to me from from that organizing background. And I came into the labor movement because it was the place where where I saw people were actually doing really serious organizing to take on big fights and to to win in really dramatic ways against incredibly powerful employers and politicians and um, and other powerful entities. So, um, yeah, ended up in the labor movement, ended up like, you know, in my office in the Seattle Labor Temple and saw Jane's book as the thing that people were looking at. Um, and when I decided to pivot to become a labor lawyer, I ended up uh, at the Berkeley Law School uh, and Jane is an affiliate with the, the Berkeley Labor Center. So we ended up um, getting the chance to work together there. I was kind of looking for work to do that was still movement adjacent while I was in school. Um, and she had the idea that she wanted to do kind of a follow-up to no short shortcuts that took those organizing approaches but applied them to the collective bargaining process to union negotiations and um you know what does it look like to have really high majority driven worker participation in the actual negotiations themselves and this was something that she was trained to do as a young organizer in um 1199 um northeast and um and was a method that she had practiced as a negotiator. And so we you know, wanted to both kind of build on the work that she had done throughout her career, but then also go out into the world and find examples of workers doing that in real campaigns. Um, and so the book is kind of part primer. Here are the things you need to do to, to have really high participation negotiations. Then also here are a bunch of examples of teachers and nurses and journalists and uh, health, other healthcare workers um, and hospitality workers are right, using these practices in their own nego negotiations and winning really transformative victories at the negotiating table. And were you yourself a union member at some point? Yeah, I was um, an organizer for a bunch of years with Unite Here, the Hotel and Hospitality Workers Union. We actually organized a staff union at the local that I worked at. So I was our lead negotiator for our first contract as a union staff that had unionized. And then I was a member and helped to organize uh, the graduate student researchers at the University of California when I was in law school. So have gotten to be, um, you know, kind of part of the hospitality workers union, part of a union staff union, and then also part of um, this really exciting movement in higher education to organize. Um, you were collecting data for this when you were in law school. Had you done any uh, qualitative research previously to that? Um, I was 
in college, um, convinced that I wanted to be an ethnographer. And so that was kind of my kind of coursework that I did and, and something that I was really interested just going through my undergraduate education was, um, you know, learning about phenomena by talking directly to the people who are um, having those experiences every day. And so that was kind of in my background coming into this project, but was the first. Did you do all those interviews, the 58? I did, yeah. <laughs> wow, how long were they? Um, Gosh, they were... I feel like uh, this book was such a product of COVID. It was, yeah. um, you know, a lot of just people who had nothing else to do but talk to me and and, and vice versa on my end. And um, so we had pretty wonderful, like, um, you know, it's been two hours with folks um, going through these campaigns and their experiences. It is about negotiating. Now, here at PCTA in Pinellas, we're we're not at the negotiating table yet, but what, what really struck me about the book is how much you both talk about the high participation and the, the member-driven aspect of organizing. So kind of with with that in mind, you know, this this idea of getting as much participation at the ground level, you know, as possible, and then thinking about that chapter about the New Jersey Teachers Union. Um, as somebody all the way on the other coast, as somebody who has so much experience, um, what is your view on just what is happening to Florida right now? How do you guys see it? Yeah, and I should say too, part of my my early organizing with Unite Here was in South Florida. So I was in Florida from wow. 2012 to 2014, um, organizing non-union casino workers and had the feeling then that, you know, the Rick Scott days that 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 seemed like rock bottom and now to see it just continue to get worse, I think is- yeah, What's, what's the, after um, rock bottom? The elevator keeps going down. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, I'm just, it's just like so, so troubling and maddening for, you know, my friends and coworkers and folks that I know in Florida and, and you all as classroom teachers, just, it feels like you are kind of at the heart of every important battle that's happening right now. Um, I think it is exciting to see you all organizing and, and thinking about what it looks like to to stand up and fight back and, and the really important role that strong unions have to play in that. Yeah, I think there's sort of like two things I hold at the same time, which is one, this is nothing new, right? We've seen terrible right-wing governors build a politics around going after quote unquote greedy teachers from, you know, for whatever, over a decade now. Um, and in the book, we write about the New Jersey teachers and kind of their organizing to rebuild after Chris Christie went after their pensions and their health care and how they were able to use negotiations to really um, win back so much of what they they lost. It turned out somewhat temporarily during the Christie years. And I think some of the organizing that's happened in Wisconsin to, to rebuild post Scott Walker has been really exciting and inspiring to see. So I think on one hand, right, nothing new. On the other hand, I do think this is just kind of a new, again, we're like in the sub-basement right. of being <laughs> new this, lows. Um, uh, yeah, just uh, like an on-steroids version of, of what we've seen in the past. You are listening to PCTA's Fire Podcast. I'm here today with Abby Lawler, Dr. Anna Marciata, and Philip El Castro. And today we're talking about the book Rules to Win By. Well, that that kind of leads me to to my next question. You know, the book talks about the um, the New Jersey Teachers Union, and here we are. We're we're also public sector, and we're sort of hamstrung in different ways than some of the other uh, examples you have in the book, like the hospitality and the journalists, right? So. 
and especially here in the South, you know, we have all these right to work states and we're we're barred from one of the biggest tools that you guys, you know, you kind of tout in the book is the the nuclear option of going on strike. We can't do that. Yeah. We, we can, but we're subjected to what? We lose our pension. We lose our jobs. It's not guaranteed. I mean, and a lot of some people have referred to the strike in 1968 as a failure. Yes, we did get collective bargaining into our constitution, but other scholars would tell you it, it was a failure. We didn't get everything we wanted and a lot of people didn't get rehired. Right. My, my question is when when we're kind of uh, we're kind of neutered with away from our, our best tool, like a union, an organization's best tool, we can't really do the same way that some of the examples in your book um, kind of, you know, tout. And everybody knows that the teaching profession is sort of built on burnout. It's sort of built on um, just just giving us more and more responsibilities where there's so many of us who who don't ever really clock out. You know, we have our hours, we have our contract hours when we're in the classroom and we're in meetings, but there's so much that happens planning wise and, and meeting wise and phone call wise and all this other stuff that a lot of us just don't have the energy to continue organizing or we don't have the ability, you know, whether it's health related or childcare related or transportation related, you know, it just happens that the, the three of us and some of the other people who appeared on the podcast with us do have that privilege to to continue the fight and to do things like this. So how do you how do you spark that passion? You know, that passion leads to passion leads to passion from the ground up. How do you do that among a a population in this public workforce that is that is built on burnout? It relies on burnout. Yeah. I mean, the thing that I I really believe from my time organizing is that, you know, organizing is a necessity, right? It's not a privilege. It's it's what we need to be doing in order to build the lives that we want and and fight back against all of these attacks that that we're facing. So, and that's a, a hard thing and a hard ask to make of the people around us. But um, you know, I was listening to your episode with Mike Gandolfo about oh, yeah. about your past collective bargaining, right? And he said, if you have a hundred percent strike, like they're not going to take your pension away. They're not going to fire all the teachers and. And what's possible is in part a function of your participation, right? Or, or in, I would argue, a, a large degree uh, a function of your participation. And so I think we really have to think about what would it actually look like for 100% of teachers or 90% of teachers to take that action, Florida law be darned, right, um, yeah. right to, to, to make that choice and to do it together. And that's going to take a bunch of you know, that's not just going to be sort of the younger teachers who maybe feel like they have a little bit less to lose. That's going to take the most senior folks. That's going to take everybody choosing to take that risk together, choosing to take that step together. And um, so I think the the kind of tools and techniques that Jane lays out are no shortcuts that we're trying to uh, argue for in the book is really to get unions to that place of um, you know, we're able to have the hard conversations about, yeah, there's a lot at stake for people individually. This is really hard. This takes time away from your kids and your family. But to have those conversations and to build to a place where realistically 90% of folks, 100% of folks yeah. um, would be able to take action together. So I think that's one thing I would say just in terms of like what to do if there's a legal prohibition on striking or really severe consequences for striking that are a function of state law. Ultimately, that that's a political question, right? If folks are actually going right. to face those consequences and the politics of that question are, are totally dictated by 
the level of participation and also broader public support. In the book, you mentioned like there were sort of these structure tests leading up to the strikes to make sure that you have that involvement. And I was wondering if like maybe you could just tell us some about some about some good examples of structure tests that people have used. Um, yeah, and I, I would say I, the New Jersey chapter is is maybe a, a helpful place to look. I mean, there there were a bunch of different actions that that the unions took, a bunch of different kinds of structure tests. Um, I don't think any of the the local associations in that chapter ultimately escalated to a strike vote, but they did. One of the units did a work to rule action, right? So they were, at the end of the day, they put an auto response on their email. They said, I'm done working for the day. If anyone emails me, right, they're going to get this auto response that says, out of my contractual hours, I'm not doing that work. I so love that idea. Yeah, I, 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 I read that and I went immediately back to like all of us and our, our teacher group. And I was like, I, I know we're not on strike and we're not planning one, but can we please do the auto reply emails and have it in our signatures that we only work from these hours? I think that would send such like a powerful message about just the, the profession in general and also kind of draw the attention to Florida teachers. I like that because at, I was at the um, Florida Education Association Delegate Assembly um, last year and there was this vote they're trying well it came up as a strike like they wanted to vote to strike and that's not going to work in florida so they got talked down to what if we just work the clock yeah that also failed though that also failed but i think small moves like that showing that we are saying these are this is the clock what failed about just working the clock like people didn't do it. Well, so you voted against it too, I, didn't you? I did vote against oh, it. Yeah. Oh, I'm a scab over here. I'm a scab. Sorry, I got you. <laughs> well, I mean, why, why did you? I can't do my job correctly if I work the clock. Well, yeah, that's, that's like the, the point. point. That's the point. <laughs> yeah, but um, these are children. That's my. <laughs> well, that's their fault. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, I think that the exchange you're having is that is to me really a great illustration of the importance of having what we call escalating structure tests, and so the. The idea of a structured test rate is you're basically testing your level of organization. You're saying at any point in time, how many people in the bargaining unit can I get to do X thing? And um, and then you get you track it really carefully. So you see, okay, we asked everyone to sign on to this petition. We got 20% of the membership to do it. You look at that number, you say, okay, we have a long ways to go before a majority of the unit or a super majority or that 90% that we were talking about, right, is engaged. So that's the goal of a structured test. But then you want to start out also with smaller things that people, you know, maybe don't get at this conflict that teachers have about, oh, well, this is a thing that could harm my students, right? Or this is a thing that um, has these negative side effects that I'm uncomfortable with or feel difficult, um, but that you start out and, and build towards actions that maybe feel riskier or, or feel like, okay, we really need to also be organizing parents and students as we take this action. So they understand why we're doing it and they understand right the stakes of this and we have their support as we take that action. And I saw so, that I saw that in your book that how you get the community behind you as well. It's not just the act of the union by itself. If you get the community behind you, then these acts of, um, I would call it an act of rebellion against your employer, they would they actually work in better cases than not the community the community support you mean yeah yeah I, I wrote down in my notes um one of the things that i was thinking about was like oh there's probably like parent teacher association type deal in our schools that i've never 
uh, interacted with in any way. And it would probably be nice to have more positive interactions and experiences mm-hmm. with parents. Um, because a lot of the time, like, I, the only thing is like calling home about behaviors right. and stuff like that. Well, I was thinking not just, I mean, I'm talking about the email signature and the office hours thing specifically. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, I think to some, to, to probably many, it would come off as passive aggressive, right? Mm-hmm. And some people would think, just like you said, that, you know, our, our job, our mission is to serve the students. And if we're sort of like closing the office door and not doing that, we're not doing our jobs. But I, I feel like um, sending that message to other teachers and administrators because within teaching within education we have this this culture of what we call sunshine and rainbows that we have a lot of people who just do it for the kids these people who are who are willing to basically you know just just let somebody walk all over them because yeah. that's it's understood that that's part of the job and we get this from from all over too it's it's not necessarily our own administrators but even at the district level there's this expectation that you're just going to go to trainings over the summer and you're just going to take these classes over your break and i've had to send several emails to people you know above us outside of our site and saying is this contractually obligated and i had to make somebody tell me no it is not because they just send all of these emails after hours, expecting that you're going to have your email on your phone, which I refuse to do for any other teachers listening to this episode. Take your email off your phone right now. Um, I, I'm just not going to. Right. The the one of the few perks of this job is being able to have that time. You know, a commodity that everybody has only appreciates in value, and you have no idea how much of it you have left. So, being able to have spring break, winter break, and summer break. That's one of the, the the main perks of being an educator. And then when, you know, district level people and the expectation, even from our colleagues, is that you have to give that up too. I am I am hard against that. So I think even something that may appear passive aggressive, like a um like an email signature at office hours, I think it's important that everybody gets that message. You are listening to PCTA's Fire Podcast. I'm here today with Abby Lawler, Dr. Anna Marciata, and Philip El Castro. And today we're talking about the book Rules to Win By. I don't know. This is that's something we can talk about off air with you know union leadership as well. But kind of leading with that, what do you think, Abby, about um, like we have FEA, the state, the state level union. Do you think that these organizations like AFT, NEA? FEA, all of these teacher organizations, do you think that they are supporting the Florida locals in a capacity that it's necessary right now at this particular point in time? Oh, gosh. I mean, I would put that question back all on you. I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on it. As, um, no, our answer is no. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Well, in your book, you also got you guys mentioned that there's this idea that a lot of union members think that they have this approach that and actually we talked to hcta's president yesterday too saying that to to a lot of people unions are triple a like for your car where you only call them up for an emergency um and i think our perception here is that there's a lot of people who are viewing the the union organization and membership as like emergency only like they don't want to be part of that high participation they don't necessarily want to get involved and um 
you know, do whatever they can in any capacity. Not everybody has to do a podcast and go knocking on doors and all this other stuff, but there are things that could be done to help. That's just to, that to be active members. But I don't think we, I don't think we necessarily see that here because a lot of people do view it as um, Rob Crete from HTTA told us that they view it as just AAA for an emergency. You mentioned this, um, I believe in the introduction and in the conclusion um, about the one-on-one surveys um, mm-hmm. The idea of getting actual interpersonal conversations with other union members and seeing what they would like to see for the bargaining table. My question is, because, like, for example, Pinellas County, where we live, it's a very spread out, densely populated county. Very, It's big, and it can take you upwards to an hour to get to one end of the district. So how do you increase participation and get these one-on-one surveys when your your district, your your local is so large? Because I feel like... We're expected to go to the middle of the county. It's a place called Largo, and it can take forever to get there, and it's miserable. And once we get there, these uh, these meetings can go on for three, four hours sometimes. And I get this feeling that people walk away feeling like they're, they're getting nothing out of this. So it, it crushes passion that could potentially be spun around. He gets that feeling because I've said exactly that. That's why I stopped going. <laughs> <laughs> and you're, those are your county wide union meetings or there's the yes our district yeah yeah i mean those one-on-one conversations i think um you know those could be things that happen in break time at work or you know in the coffee shop across the street from the school or in people's homes i think that's often a really powerful place to be having organizing conversations i don't think we ended up including it in the book just because it was a a color-coded image that didn't translate well to black and white Mm -hmm. but um there is a version of rules to win by that exists on the uc berkeley labor center website that has a great appendix and in there is a map that one of the um new jersey education locals that we interviewed for the book used just to track to map the the workplace and to track who's talking to whom, filling out a a bargaining survey. And so literally they had a map of like a floor plan of each floor of the school. They had the name of every teacher for Mm. every classroom. They had it color coded both based on whether or not the person was a union member and based on their seniority, whether they'd been there, I think over five years or less than five years and use that to actually take assignments to say, okay, you know, I'm on these, this floor with these, 10 teachers and five of them aren't union members and all of them need to fill out a negotiating survey, um, but use that to actually structure their organizing and to figure out um, who to go talk to and to make sure that everyone was getting talked to. And that, you know, is the really uh, fundamental work that needs to go into actually building structure to be taking all these actions together. I think that's maybe the an answer to your survey question in terms of, yeah. of meetings. Yeah, I think bad. <laughs> No, There's I, nothing that depresses me more than a bad union meeting and figuring out how those are spaces that make people excited and inspired and um, driven to do more work as opposed to demotivating is uh, a really, really important thing to to figure out. No, I think that's great. Um, I, I think what you're, I'm just going to reiterate what you're saying is that you have the leadership at your local, at your, at your work site. Right. right, they come together and they make a plan with other members to say, okay, um, Dr. Anna, you're science, so you're going to take care of this wing in science. Philip, you're in this hallway, you're going to take care of people in this hallway. We're going to make sure every single person's walking to a room, kind of spread it out that way instead of relying on one or two people to cover the entire thing, which yeah. is that's too much. 
Well, I mean, even what we're doing right now, this started as just me and Pickett going to like a bar down the block from the school and just kind of when I was a, when I was a first year teacher, just sort of uh, recovering, basically, and sort of uh, debriefing the day. And, you know, I need a drinking buddy <laughs> and I'm lonely. So, um, so, I mean, that's kind of how this started was literally just like casual hangouts. And then we just started bringing more and more first year teachers. Uh, Dr. Anna is a first year teacher. Um, and then the, it just escalated right now. This is this is the first year we do in the podcast, right? Yeah. So I think we started this in January. So here we are now. This is my third year in. Um, just doing really casual hangs and meetups um, is now, you know, some. it's a formidable type of, of organizing work that we're doing here, um, getting, getting some pretty decent attention, at least news-wise, locally. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm just I'm just kind of spinning my wheels here, but I'm agreeing with you, Brennan. That Thank I think you. I think that um, I think that getting more of our our site based reps to to sort of copy our model and the model that that Abby has put in the book would would be a good way to to drive some of that passion. You know, do it over a drink, do it over food, do it you know yeah. like a watch party of some sort. One of the things that I noticed when I was reading through the educators in New Jersey, um, all three of the unions that you talked about in there were unions that included members that were it was more than just teachers. It would be like the union included teachers and secretaries and bus drivers and security and maintenance and like all of that, like. Why why is PCTA and PESPA like separate? Like why I, I feel like it would be better if we had more groups of people all together, right? Like I don't know. That's not exactly a question, well, but amusing. <laughs> I, I can explain it to Abby, maybe. Um, here in Pinellas County, we have actually three unions working through our schools. We have mm. um, SEIU, we have PESPA, which is the clerks, and we have the teachers, and they all kind of work in the same building. I would think that the bus drivers should be in our union, right? Like, that was one of the things that, like, I thought of note when I was reading through because of the issues in our county right now with the bus drivers. Do they do that in other districts? Do they include bus drivers with the teachers and other um, locals around the nation? Yeah, I know in some of the New Jersey examples, they there were, um, I think, bus drivers and security and other folks that were in the same unit. I would say also, you know, there's sort of the, the on-paper separation, but lots of examples of unions approaching organizing in a way that is you know, really intentional about building solidarity, about breaking down barriers between different unit, units, and in particular, recognizing that there's a ton of strategic power in you all you know, going to the negotiating table at the same time because you've lined up your contracts okay. so they expire at the same time, right? Doing that organizing kind of across um, whatever divisions exist between bargaining units and different unions that you're, you're trying to kind of organize and build in a way that is... Um, you know, inclusive of workers doing lots of different kinds of jobs because you're going to have maximal power when you're all are united and have that solidarity and are going to the table at the same time around a shared set of demands. And so that's, I think, a strategy that has been really successful, even where, you know, there's sort of more of these like, um, like a guild style, like craft union approach where people are kind of broken up specifically by their, their occupation. You are listening to PCTA's Fire Podcast. I'm here today with Abby Lawler, Dr. Anna Marciata, and Philip El Castro. And today we're talking about the book, Rules to Win By. I feel like the more that we talk about this and each episode we do of the podcast, especially as all of the legislation is being um, you know, signed by the governor here, 
it's and this is something we talk about off air too uh, but it just feels like just the the level of organization and the style of organization here in florida it just feels like too little too late you know i feel like there you know there was this attitude at some to some degree at some levels here in florida that people were just very optimistic thinking oh well that that won't pass or they won't get everything or that can't happen and every single bit of it happened and we just keep taking losses at, at, at every level we just keep taking l's constantly and the leadership i guess at whatever the top level was is now we're just kind of you know we've got water through our fingers because we didn't do any of the shoring up to to prevent this from happening and now we have no backstop keeping it from getting worse which is causing you know this sinking ship to have more people leaving the profession leaving the state you know and it's it's just it's a bleak outlook so I think Pickett wanted to ask our last question here because it's very important to him. What happens when you lose? What happens when we're a big bunch of dumb loser babies? Yeah. <laughs> what happens when the union gets decertified and I lose my contract? Like, what happens next? What do we do? Well, you keep fighting. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, there's, I hate our kind of reliance on war metaphors in organizing, but it's it's the the battle versus the war, right? And there are lots of, of battles that you are potentially going to lose in that, but the the war is still out there to to keep fighting. I think it is important to think about, you know, what one what are the the issues that are most motivating folks to fight around, and you have like no shortage of choices in Florida at the moment. <laughs> Like, you know, I, I would be very curious in when you talk to your coworkers and when you're organizing, right, are folks more fired up about like the direct attack on unions and collective bargaining? Or is it books in the classroom or is it LGBTQ rights? Like what the issues that folks are kind of most agitated and ready to take action around? And then, you know, if I were to, in your shoes, would think about what are ways that we can try and organize people like in majority fashion, like build towards majorities taking action together around these issues in a way that that feels like it has momentum, that you're able to you know, do things that make people feel like they're together and having some forward progress, even if it's just in their, their level of organization um, and their ability to speak out together um, in kind of the short term and, and and then see where it goes and and just organizing begets more organizing i think and the more folks that you get involved you're able to then take on more issues and and bring more people in but i would think about that and that again might not necessarily be people necessarily organizing around the issue of collective bargaining or the the attack on unions necessarily but on issues that are happening in the classroom more generally picking those fights along the way and building is is really the only the only choice that we have. And uh, the other thing I would say is that when you lose, you learn a lot, right? Or you should learn a lot about why you're losing. Right? Right. You should have right. an analysis of where the breakdown is. Like, why does Ron DeSantis think that he can treat teachers the way that he does, right? What about his electorate and the base that he's built allows him to do that? And how, what are ways in which that base could be vulnerable to people realizing, oh, actually teachers are like, our relatives and neighbors and the folks yeah. who teach our children every day and um, how can you kind of pick away. And I think you see that in New Jersey to some extent, right, of 
of Chris Christie, you know, when he said he's going to slap a teacher in the face, right? The extreme mm -hmm. rhetoric there and how I think ultimately that that backfired because I was going to say too, like you described in the beginning of that chapter, it seemed like they had to lose, like they lost first. At the very beginning of the chapter, it was a description of a loss, like their health insurance premiums went up, they yep. dropped in the pension system. It it was starting with a loss and it got, you know, that, I don't want to say it helps, but like <laughs> they the, the, the members felt the pain. I think I hear this from a couple of different people. They always say whenever they come after unions, unions come back stronger. Yeah, And um, Abby, do you feel that way as well? I do. And I think the other piece that I would drop from the New Jersey lesson, right, is that that was a union that I think relied pretty heavily on political donations and kind of creating political favor at kind of a very top level within the union for a long time. And at a certain point that no longer worked and they had a breakdown of that strategy and then had to come back and I think actually do real organizing of their members from the bottom up to be winning these fights at the table instead of through lobbying at the the political level. And so that I think when we're fundamentally relying on people's participation and people as our source of power rather than, you know, politicians doing the things that we want, um, that just is gonna be a much more fruitful path ultimately yeah actually rob even said that yesterday mm -hmm. over in hillsborough they had their contract went to impasse and he said honestly in some ways that was a good thing to happen to us because teachers were seeing uh you know their pay reduced and in in critical ways and it kind of rallied um their organization a bit um before we switch over to our next segment abby are you a fan of lord of the rings um <laughs> Not, not, not a fan, not a super fan, no, okay. I guess I would say. You were describing right, the battle. Call. You were just, you were just, yeah, goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> you were describing the battle versus the war. And the minute you said that, we make a lot of Lord of the Rings reference. And I was like, oh my God, Ron DeSantis, he's Isildur and he's got the ring and he's supposed to destroy it. But he takes it and goes, no. And, that, and then the war just continues. You're losing the guest. Yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> do you want to, I have to uh, brush up on my <laughs> um, Do you want to do your, yeah, your, your segue? Um, we're going to take a little break, guys. When we get back, we're going to do our base awards. So stick around. Hello there. If you support the podcast, you can now donate directly to us from the link in the description. You can donate 99 cents, $4.99, or $9.99 monthly. Your donation can help get me. Aziz off the streets. Well, unfortunately, Aziz will always be on the streets. He yearns for the streets. But your support will go towards producing high-quality episodes just like the one you're listening to right now. Your support helps us keep gas in the tank, food on our tables, and our classrooms full of pencils and paper. We all know edumacators all over America are undervalued and underpaid. Help us, mooks like me, continue to bring recognition and a voice to education professionals. Hey guys, it's Brennan. One of my goals moving into this podcast project was to have the voices of our listeners play an active role in sharing our message that Union's public schools, well, they're not going anywhere without a fight. And as we dive deeper into the themes of public education, teachers' unions, and political activism, we want to hear from you, our listeners. If you're a teacher, parent, even a member of the community, we extend an open invitation for you to send us a voice recording with your name, occupation, and why you're sticking with the union 
during these politically turbulent times. We love to play these recordings at the beginning of our episodes and share your thoughts with our listeners. You can send these recordings to PCTA Fire, that's F Y R E, pod at gmail.com. Additionally, we encourage you to write to your representative and advocate for teachers' unions and public education. You can easily locate your representative by visiting www.myfloridahouse.gov forward slash find your representative. Your voice can make a difference in supporting education and the future of our students. So take a moment to send us a voice clip and write to your representative. Let's work together to positively impact education for all. And we're back. And for those of us who are new to the show, we're going to do our base award, which is something that is agreeable, respectable, and overall positive in our lives. All righty. Uh, my base award is going to go to Emily Greist, who has been on the show a couple of times, and she is one of the uh, FIRE co-chairs over in Hillsborough. So she's an AP art history teacher in Hillsborough uh, County, and she's just been a super cool contact. I met her at the beginning of this school year, maybe, end of last school year at some fire meeting that i was requested at and if you know me at all you know i hate meetings and i basically sat there with my head in my hands the entire time waiting for it to be over mad that i'd missed the free food um but i did meet emily and we kind of connected and that was a super cool thing so we've we've done a lot of organizing stuff together we've done teacher stuff together we've done fun stuff together um, I think we're planning on doing a Lord of the Rings marathon uh, the weekend after school is over. Um, everybody's invited, so. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, Emily Emily has been extremely base, and she she helped us do quite a few things and get a few a few balls rolling here with what we're doing here in Pinellas. So that's been pretty cool. Um, our I'm giving my base award to one of our coworkers, Michael Aguilar. Uh, it was his birthday. I went to his birthday party on Friday. Uh, there were a lot of people there calling him Michael, which was very strange. <laughs> that is weird, yeah. Very <laughs> weird for me. He is Jag. Um, Aguilar to Jaguar. Yeah. Um, but yeah, happy birthday to Jag. <laughs> Uh, my Beast Award is going to go to the members of the Writers Guild who are on strike currently. I think it's just been so interesting to learn more about that industry and the impact that streaming has had on it directly from all of those writers who are on strike. And I feel like so appreciative of the the education that I'm getting about how that industry works and so fired up to see them win an amazing contract. Fired up on the Fire podcast. Oh my God, get out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Canceled. Yeah. Okay, so my base award was a surprise. Last night, I was I, I have all my social media always turned off. So whenever I go on, I get like a bunch of notifications and I have to like shuffle through them. And a student that I taught six years ago, it was my first year of teaching and she was this excellent writer that I had. I always joked of her that she should be an English major, although she told me, no, I want to make money. I'm going to go into science. I'm going to go into health science, work in hospitals. I'm like, all right, well, go, go make your money. You're going to be miserable. And... <laughs> This isn't really based because uh, she hates it, she told me, <laughs> but she's chasing her passions. She just got a job copy editing for a local place, and Sweet. she's going to try that out. And Do you think she emailed you because it was a cry for help? I don't know. It was really <laughs> random. And I was like, hey, I haven't yeah. talked to you in years. <laughs> Any students listening, I uh, if, you're, if English is your best subject, I do recommend going into English as a discipline rather than journalism or education because... Yeah. 
English, you can kind of do anything you want. I mean, that's what I did. I just told people I had an English degree. You could be a cool union lawyer like Abby. Yeah. With an English degree. Or, or a, <laughs> Plus more. Or a, <laughs> or a semi-local semi-locally famous podcaster podcast aficionado yeah that's us you can run a podcast like me you too can take zoom calls in your living room <laughs> well uh with that i can end the show yeah thank you so much abby um everybody listening the book is rules to win by power and participation in union negations by jane mcalevy and abby lawler it's a it's a very very interesting read and very informative it literally has the rules if you just want to read that part too so um abby anything else you'd like to add before we kind of end here um no it's just been great to be with y'all thanks so much for having me on all right and Thanks for listening to Peace Chase oh, Fire Podcast. You. I'm Brennan. I'm Philip. I'm Dr. Anna. And I'm Abby. All righty. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, guys. Thanks. Peace out, guys. Bye. Summer is on the horizon, but we would still like to remind our listeners that the school board will continue to meet on May 9th, June 27th, and July 11th at 10 a.m., as well as June 13th at 5 p.m. You might be thinking, gee, that's a lot of early meeting times. But this is definitely the norm here in Pinellas. Help us by going out and speaking against this to have the school board conduct its business when the working public is free to voice their concerns. It's vital for teachers, parents, and community members to attend these meetings and advocate for public education. Your voice and presence can play a significant role in shaping the future of education and improving our community. A special thank you to Philip Belcastro for providing our theme music and Artifact for adding some great tracks into our intermissions. If you haven't already, be sure to check out Artifact's music at artifactjoints.bandcamp.com. We also want to express our gratitude to Radio St. Pete for airing our podcast, Jamie Beck, Brian Bowen, Nancy Villardi, Lee Bryant, and all of our supporters from the education community as well as our new monthly listener, Jacob Albert. Your support and dedication has been instrumental in getting the word out and reaching new listeners. That's all for today. I'm Brennan Pickett. Have a great day, guys.